What's up everybody? Thanks for pushing play. This is Chris Norris. Welcome to the Cognitive Fitness Coach Podcast. Here we're dedicated to boosting our mental and physical wellness through the power of meditation, breath work, mindfulness, exercise, nature, and other proven practices. Join us every two weeks as we explore a new technique and approach to cultivate a healthier, more energetic, and more fulfilling life. Get ready to challenge your mind, invigorate your body, and tap into your inner power with relatable insights, inspiring stories, meditations, and practical tips. Let's start your journey toward a fitter and more vibrant you. Let's find the best version of ourselves. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. So today we've got another person of service on the podcast. Uh, welcome, Christopher Davis. How's it going, man? Good, Chris. You? I'm doing awesome, man. I'm living the dream here. So let me give you a little background uh, on Christopher Davis. Pretty impressive, man. Uh, after 25 plus years of service, Chris retired as an assistant chief of police for the Fayetteville, North Carolina Police Department. In his last assignment, he served as the Investigation Bureau Commander and supervised over 150 employees. Chris has worked in patrol, investigations, internal affairs, and the training division. Uh, prior to law enforcement, he served three-plus years as a U.S. Army officer and served in Operation Desert Storm and Desert Shield. In addition to his law enforcement career, Chris has worked as an adjutant criminal justice professor at Methodist University, Fayetteville State University, and at North Carolina Central University. Chris was a certified fitness instructor, instructor excuse me, for North Carolina Justice Academy, and he's a certified yoga instructor and has a passion for improving resilience and operational performance via yoga. In May of 2019, Chris started Yoga 911 to enhance the delivery of yoga and mindfulness practices. The first Yoga 911 yoga teacher training was taught in November of 2020. Currently, Chris works for the North Carolina Central University as an adjutant professor at the Institute for Intergovernmental Research, IIR, as a contractor for the Valor Program, which focuses on police officer safety, wellness, and resilience. His qualifications are extensive, and I would read them all, but we only have an hour on this podcast. But it suffice to say that Chris is highly qualified in the ways of yoga, fitness, mindfulness, law enforcement, and public safety. So before I turn it over to you, I just really want to thank you for all the service you've given to this country uh, through your military service and your service as a first responder. You have all the respect in the world for me. So thanks for coming on, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So tell us a little about uh, yourself. Tell us uh, where where was the origin of Christopher Davis? Where'd you grow up? And, and uh, how'd you grow up? Grew up in uh, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, went on to the University of Dayton. Uh, played football for a little bit. Uh, was in the ROTC program. Um, upon graduation, I got assigned to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Um, like you kind of read in the intro, did uh, three and a half years there. Um, got out kind of uh, fumbled around for a little while to decide what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and got hired by the Fayetteville Police Department and served 25 years there and retired um, in February 2018. So it's just been about five years now. Nice. So what did you do in the Army? What, what were you doing at Fort Bragg? And what did- I was a transportation lieutenant. I started out as a uh, light medium truck uh, platoon leader and then went on to a movement control center, which is what I did in 
uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm, which was a pretty cool job. I got I was uh, assigned 18th Airborne Corps headquarters, uh, okay. so I was by far the lowest ranking person uh, there. But got to kind of uh, kind of see kind of see the big picture, how things work from all the way from a general on down to my little lieutenant status. Nice. Yeah, so we, sh- we share some of that in common. I was also uh, in the motor pool, but in the Navy, I was a Navy CB mechanic for, for 24 years. But uh, I-, I think the Army is probably a little different where you guys specialize in like certain vehicles and such like that. And like, but with me, like if it took fuel and turned it into noise, they expected me to be able to work on it. Like, so I worked on everything from, from uh, construction equipment, bulldozers to uh, outboard engines on little rubber boats to high speed boats to motorcycles to like you name it it was all over the place so um yeah cool and uh yeah desert storm desert shield so uh i think i was uh, i was actually in high school at that time i'm trying to make you feel old but yeah so yeah. what was that like what was, was the army good to you was that a good experience or how was that it was, it was a good experience um i learned a lot and in hindsight i guess kind of like college um, I wish I would have taken it a little more serious. Um, you know, I was still kind of young and really had no clue about what life was and kind of kind of living for the moment as opposed to living for, you know, the next 10, 15, 20 years. So um, I made a few mistakes um, in college, in the military. And I guess if, if I could take anything from both those experiences was that I made mistakes and I needed to learn from those mistakes and not make the same mistakes twice, which is ultimately what I did in the police department. I was pretty good at not making mistakes. And as you know, uh, especially with the current climate in law enforcement, if you make a mistake, um, it can be rather costly to you, the department, and to every officer in the nation, potentially. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying with that. I mean, nowadays, it's like uh, every little move you make is, is probably going to end up on TikTok or facebook or something but before the patrol before your patrol is over you're probably already uh possibly going viral so yeah. Uh, yeah um yeah we'll dig into that a little more later but um so uh, yeah uh, so from from the the army you get out and do you immediately roll into law enforcement or was there any transition there and how how was that transition to get out of the army because i know for many it's it can be rough i i just got out uh shoot about a year and a half ago and uh I'm making it look smooth, but <laughs> as it struggles. <laughs> now, it was pretty smooth. I was looking forward to getting out and doing something different. I guess the problem was uh, my false assumption was that with all my high-speed training in the military, that it'd be easy to find a, a job. So it wasn't for me anyways. And ultimately, I ended up uh, going back to Dayton, Ohio, my wife and I, um, and found a few jobs that I did not like at all. Uh, in Ohio and ultimately moved back to North Carolina and actually sold cars for a little bit. And I was a pretty crappy car salesman. The best month I had was selling two cars to myself. Um, but no, I did that for a little while and then got, uh, uh, with most police departments, it took a while. I applied to the Fable Police Department, ultimately got hired by them. So I, I between the military and the police department, probably was maybe a year, year and a half. And then I think I was 26 when I got hired by the police department. Oh shoot! You're you're still a young pup in my eyes, you know. Like I was I was 24 when I joined the Navy, and I was uh, I was bouncing off the bottom when I joined the Navy. It pretty much saved my life. But um, yeah, so 
yeah, I, I, I understand what you're, where you're coming from was like, uh, you know, you think that folks are just going to be chomping at the bit to hire you on. Um, and then I too struggled some to find some, some purpose and direction, but, uh, I found it and uh, I think I'm doing quite well now. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked to be doing what I'm doing here. Um, but yeah, so how, how did the uh, police department, how did you like that? Was that like a pretty natural fit for you? Yeah, it ended up being my major in college was criminal justice. But, you know, at the time when I'm in uh, when I'm in school, I'm thinking I knew cops didn't make a whole lot of money. So that really wasn't on my list of things to do. So, uh, again, ultimately, I got hired by them and ultimately ended up being a great fit. Um, and as I look back, being hired at 26 probably was the best thing that ever could have happened to me. If I would have been hired when I was 21, 22 or 20, even 23. I probably would have been fired or put in jail for something that I shouldn't have been doing. So it gave me the time to, I was mature enough at 26 to do a good job. And what I love about policing and I share with um, potential police candidates in the future is what I loved about policing was typically I would be able to kind of get a pretty good grasp on each position I held probably after about 12 to 18 months. And then ultimately at about probably the three year mark, I started getting a little bit bored with that position. But what I loved about policing is I could switch jobs within the police department and still be hired by the same department, which ultimately helps with the retirement thing. And I think it comes back to, um, I'd like to think I was pretty good at what I did. So I had quite a bit of freedom as I didn't get every job that I applied for, but the majority of jobs or the jobs that I kind of uh, looked to pursue, I ultimately, uh, for the most part, ended up getting, which was a blessing. Yeah, that's awesome. And and that reminds me again, back to like the military experiences, like it, it, no matter what job I was in, I knew like it's not going to last forever. You know, if bad jobs weren't going to last forever, you're going to transfer somewhere else. And unfortunately, it's like that with the good commands, too. It's not going to last forever and you got to go somewhere else. But um, yeah. yeah, so. Did, was it always good or, I mean, did it get stressful? How, how did your a career evolve? Was, was there rough patches within there? I'm, I'm sure that you've. Um, again, I, I guess the second, the second part about policing that I really loved was you always, you always have a supervisor of some sort, whether it be you're a patrol officer and have a sergeant or you're a sergeant, have a lieutenant, et cetera, just like the military. But to me, it was for the most part up to you to be what kind of police officer you wanted to be. And I say that, are you going to be proactive, go out and do some stuff? Um, or are you going to be reactive and just answer calls? So I love the option of being proactive, which is what I love to do. So to answer your question, um, for the most part, it was good. But like any profession, I think there were some downsides. Um, I remember uh incident involving a, I was still on patrol. So it was probably, I'd probably been solo patrol, maybe about a year, 15 months at this point. Uh, was directing traffic at a um, traffic accident scene. Make a long story short, the car in question hit a power pole, broke it in half, and there were power lines going down at basically a 45-degree angle across the road. I was directing traffic and didn't realize that uh, an 18-wheeler that was going was coming through was tall enough to hit those down lines. And ultimately, he caught it with the top corner of his uh, rig which made that it was still attached to the pole, made that line to the pole almost like a whip. And when he hit it, it had hit a fireman's leg who was right there and basically crushed his ankle. So 
we're there, lines are cracking and popping. He's down there. You know, I got to grab the guy. You know, we got to get out of there. But ultimately, I felt responsible. Ultimately, it ended up um, costing him his career as far as being a fire department, firefighter. He ended up staying with the city, but in a different capacity. So that's something I'll never forget. And that was 30 years ago. So, and, and like a lot of people with the Fable Police Department, I know there were several times that I looked to go to other departments. Um, but again, I tried to do things kind of with purpose and um, kind of thoughtful. And, and I saw so many people leave the Fayetteville Police Department and then come back. Like like me, they thought the grass was greener on the other side. And I thought, well, if all these people are coming back, maybe Fayetteville PD is not as bad as or I think it is. Or maybe those other departments aren't as good as I think they are. So ultimately, I ended up staying, which, again, was probably the best decision I ever made. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, so. Back to that uh, accident scene, I mean, do you feel as though that, that affected you to the point of like, you know, trauma and, and did you have resources to, to process that type of stuff? Like, well, how long uh, there were were, police force back then? Uh, there were absolutely no resources. As a matter of fact, um, because there was a, because it was considered an incident, I was actually under investigation for, uh, in this case, um, unsatisfactory performance, something along those lines. So ultimately I ended up getting, I think it was one of the few uh, disciplinary actions I had while at the police department. I got like a written verbal, which is kind of like a written counseling statement for not performing as I should. And what made me real, and I totally, I totally get it. They could have been a lot worse on me based on the outcome, but it made me realize the only part that kind of upset me about that whole situation was it was something that I did not foresee at all happening. If it was something that I had foreseen, made a decision to go ahead and do it, and the firefighter got hurt, then I totally get it. But in this case, I had no clue that this was a was an issue. And another thing that kind of screwed me up, too, in that situation was um, the fire department was there. There were high-ranking fire people there. Um, I was the, lo- the lowly police officer, so... And actually, one of the fire captains said, hey, I'm going to put the trucks right here. I thought he was referring to the PWC truck or the Power Work Commission trucks to work on the lines when, in fact, he was talking about the 18-wheeler. So just a, kind of a lack of community. Just I just didn't see it coming. So it made me realize, you know, sometimes stuff happens and you really can't foresee it. Yeah, for sure. And then so, I mean. How long ago was that? Like, uh, like 1993-ish. Do you, so nowadays, if something like that happened, do you feel like it would have been handled differently? Do you think like they call like those things like, is that like a critical incident or something like that that would have happened? And now yeah. they have like um, programs in place or, or do you still think it would have been handled the same? Just I think for the most part, it would have been handled the same. The only thing I think that may differ a little bit is... Um, I think it depends on who was investigating the incident. Um, you can be professional and do a good investigation, a good interview, but you can still be compassionate at the same time. So there's a big difference. And oftentimes in critical incidents, how an officer responds or recovers is dictated by how he or she is treated during the investigative process, especially like, you know, an officer involved shooting something really serious. Um, a lot of research shows that 
how an officer is treated during that investigation is going to basically dictate how he or she recovers or doesn't recover or has PTSD or doesn't. And, and so is that treatment like, a, should it be like, you know, uh, trying to give a feeling of safety or security or is it just, uh, is it respect or, I mean, would it be labeled like a trauma informed type care? Or could you delve into that a little bit? Like how? how yeah, I, th- I think all the things, I think all the things that you mentioned, and like I said, there's a fine line between, you know, as an internal affairs investigator, you have to do it in a good investigation. But all my experience and my personal experience being involved in a shooting was the big thing is communication. If I'm the if I'm the officer that was involved in the shooting um, and you're you're interviewing me, um, I may not agree with every question that you ask or ultimately I may not agree with the total outcome. Maybe there was some uh, small policy I violated or something like that. And the big case with officer involved shootings, especially in North Carolina, is the State Bureau of Investigation does the investigation to um, kind of give that uh, perception of objectivity as opposed to the department investigating their own. So the bad part about here in North Carolina, and I think a lot of states, is um, you're on admin duty for anywhere from six months to 18 months, depending on how long it takes that investigation to go through. And during that investigation, um, you can't work off duty, which a lot of officers depend on that off duty money to pay their bills, to do whatever. Uh, you typically can't drive a city police car, so you have to pay for gas. So there's a lot of things that go into it. And the big thing that I've learned is, again, I may not agree with being on admin duty for six to 18 months, but if you tell me why I'm still on admin duty, again, I may not agree with it, but at least I'll know where you're coming from. So the big thing is communication. Letting the letting the department, in this case, letting me know why I'm still on admin duty, letting me know what's going on as opposed to me guessing. And as you know, more than probably the average person does, your mind does some crazy things. If you don't have any information, it starts creating different scenarios that for the most part are not even true. Yeah, for sure. And I don't, I don't, I don't take offense to that at all. You're absolutely right. I can cook up some pretty crazy shit in my head. Uh, if, if left to my own devices and, and go down that, uh, so I call it like the, the hot tub time machine and start tripping out into the future and what's going on. Where are they thinking? They're probably thinking this, and you're probably doing that. And the reason they haven't told me anything is because of this, this and that. But uh, yep, exactly. yeah, so yeah, really, I, that's, that's good. It's good to know. So just the, just the mention of like officer shootings and things like that. I mean, this is the type of stuff that most people, I would think most listeners out here don't have to, to deal with in their lives. So is that something that is like, because I, I, I think to myself, like, I was like, I could never do the job of a law enforcement officer because of that, that thing that's out there, that, that scenario that, that exists like day in and day out, there may be firearms involved in my day at the office. Is that something that weighs on you? Or is that something that you kind of become, you know, I don't want to say numb to, but you become to just accept and, and you go on with, with your life and you do your job? Um, I, I can really only speak personally. Um, I think it's something that you just kind of, um, get used to. I mean, it's part, it's, it's your new normal. So for me, in my case, it was something, and a lot of the jobs I did were in positions that were probably firearms were more likely to be involved than others. I worked, uh, after patrol, my next job was working in the Fayetteville Metropolitan Housing Authority, which was basically section eight type housing, which Typically, you have more crime in those type areas. And then I went on to narcotics, uh, which is where actually my shooting uh, took place. Um, did the SWAT thing for a little while. So 
I think it's just something you, at least I'd like to think that most officers prepare for and just kind of get, kind of get used to. Yeah. I, I was searching for the word and I hate to use it, but I mean, it's almost like it's a complacency, right? You feel like you get complacent to it in a way. Cause I know, I mean, I've been in combat situations as well. And like when we first get overseas and we get down range, it's like, you know, head on the swivel and we're I'm really, really vigilant. But yeah. over time I'm guilty of that eventually coming down lower and lower and lower and still trying to like remind myself like, Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're out here and we're doing a job and you know, this is really dangerous stuff, but you become complacent when night after night after night, nothing has happened. Right. But then the night comes when something does happen or the day. comes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's when, you know, probably a lot of officers get hurt or injured. They get complacent. They think they pull over a vehicle with a 60 year old female in there or whatever and think nothing's going to happen. But bottom line is something could happen. So yeah, you always got to, I think that's always a challenge to keep your, head in the game. And I think that's where the life expectancy of a police officer is like 22 years fewer than uh, a non-law enforcement officer. The average age is I think, 77 to 59. I think it is something like that. Um, so I just think that that hypervigilance, that being your, keeping your head on the swivel for all those years over and over and over takes its toll. Yeah, I'm sure. And I and I heard you mention uh, a, your own your own shooting scenario. Is that something you'd be willing to talk about? And 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 how? how that um, yeah, I mean, I had no issue with it. Um, I was doing an undercover drug deal, and ultimately, um, the guy pulled. There were two guys. They pulled out a gun, basically pointed at me. I was probably about ten feet away from him. They said, "Give me the money." Um, gave him the money, um, and. It, it, it turned out kind of weird. Ultimately, I was in like an alley. I turned towards a wall and, and I get in hindsight. It's kind of weird how you do things, how you train like you fight, you fight like you train or in this case, maybe watching TV. I don't know. But I guess I was think, kind of thinking if I turned away from put my back towards them, maybe they wouldn't shoot me in the back type thing. So ultimately, I went down to my knees and had my back to them and I learned later that the one guy said, shoot him. I didn't know that till later. Um, but as I tossed him the money, turned down, went to my knees, turned away. And as they went to grab the money, turned away, I had my little Glock inside my camo jacket pulled and shot. And I ended up just hitting one in the, in the leg. Um, supposedly I hit the other guy in the chest, but I don't know that for a fact. Uh, kind of went through sideways. But it... I know God was looking out for me that day, and I'll tell. And it's it's a really good story. Um, at the time I, where I was at, I was in the county. I was with was within our jurisdiction, which is a mile outside the city limits, but I was technically in the county. So after the um, shooting took place, I run back to my car, didn't have my radio. I'm gonna get my radios, put out a be on the lookout for a black male wearing a bright yellow Lanzin ski jacket. And as luck would have it, the county narcotics unit was working uh, drug operation in that same area. They actually saw that guy run into a house. So, again, kind of making a long story short, we end up going there. Um, I identify the guy, saw that it shot him through the thigh. He actually bled on the $960, I think it was, and that I had. So we ended up getting him. And what was really cool, for the longest, we ended up getting another guy that was part of the whole planning thing, but the one guy that supposedly I shot through the chest, I didn't know who he was at the time. So a week or so, 
I don't know how much time went by. Week, two weeks went by, and somebody from Fort Bragg called called me, called the narcotics office, and said, "Hey, we got this guy. He got charged with shoplifting on Fort Bragg, which is a federal offense because it's on Fort Bragg. That wants to do some work to get it, get himself out of some trouble." He said he had some information on an officer involved in a shooting. I said, "Give me some details." He said, "I said that was me." So what are the one? What are the odds of somebody calling me answering the phone? So they give me the name of this guy. His name's Marcus Rudolph Keys. So I go to our system at the time, punch it in, pull up his picture. That's the dude right there. I didn't know. He ended up being like coming down from Chicago, supposedly starting his, his version. Uh, well, the chapter of the Gangster Disciples in Fayetteville. So we couldn't find him for the longest time. Ultimately, um, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, ATF, found him in Chicago, brought him back down for trial. Uh, they ended up charging federally with some drug type offenses from all the stuff he did, including my stuff. But ultimately, they couldn't. He was always around it. But from an evidentiary standpoint, they could never pin guns or dope on him, although he was always around it. So the judge were in federal or co- federal court. I don't know if you've ever been in federal court, but it's pretty high speed as far as the kind of the pomp and circumstance of it compared to local court. So we get in there. And again, make a long story short, um, the judge says, um, although Mr. Keys is obviously not uh, uh, the most upstanding citizen in the world, I I don't find any basically probable cause to believe that he's involved in any crime. So I'm going to have to dismiss the case. So he said, Officer Davis, you did a great job testifying, blah, blah, blah. And um, he said, I want to see you in my chambers after court. So I'm thinking, what the hell? hell did I do? You know, federal judge asking me to go back in his chambers. And he basically called me back in there and said, hey, I just wanted to let you know you did a great job, but I had to do my job. I just didn't see that there was any guilt that I could uh, tie to Mr. Keys. He said, if there's anything I can ever do for you, uh, let me know. So I walk out the door, kind of shut the door behind me and kind of dejected, to be honest with you, all this is going on. And I'm thinking, damn, I got to get something out of this deal. So I knocked back on the door and his assistant um, opened the door and I said, ma'am, is it possible to talk to the judge for one second? And he, and she said, sure. Came in. I said, I said, your honor, I said, um, I'm getting ready to apply to grad school and I've got this borderline grade point average and I could really use a letter of recommendation from you. Would you mind doing that for me? He said, I'd be glad to. So ultimately he ended up doing that. So I ended up going to grad school. But what was really cool is the federal case, the federal charges were dismissed on him. I'm walking out the federal courthouse and uh, Marcus Key's mom. She knew who I knew who she was, but she didn't know who I was, but she knew I was a police officer. She goes, you know where my son is, Marcus Keys? I said, yeah, ma'am. She said, well, he should be getting out because of the charges were dismissed. And I said, ma'am, the federal charges were dismissed, but they never charged him on the North Carolina state robbery with the dangerous weapon charges. So, he ended up, the SBI state room investigation, ended up arresting him for the robbery charges, held him with no bond. Ultimately, he ended up getting about seven years for my shooting incident. Mm. And just a little, maybe a month or so before he was getting ready to be released after those seven years, the county tied him to a murder that happened on Fort Bragg. So ultimately, he got convicted of first degree murder and was sentenced to life with no parole. So wow. it was pretty pretty cool story that is a pretty cool story and I, yeah man, it's glad it all worked out the way it did i mean this yeah. is a bad dude 
mean, he murdered people crying out loud. And uh, yeah. I just think it's cool too. I mean, it's it's pretty nonchalant the way we were able to talk about. It. I was like, oh yeah, it was an, an undercover operation. I'm like, man, this is like, <laughs> this is like yeah. made for a TV movie here going on. Like, this is this sounds really cool. One thing I learned just like being a car, I, I kind of um, people always ask, you know, what's it like to be kind of a narcotics undercover person and. To be honest with you, I was uh, I was <laughs> very average or subpar undercover because I'm just not a good bullshitter. If you if you're a good if you're a good car salesman, a good salesman, you can be a good undercover. But what I really what I think I excelled at was we did like interdiction. We would go on Greyhound buses and talk to people and stuff like that. So that was kind of my niche. So I think it's kind of important to find out or be honest with yourself what you're good at and what you're better at. Yeah, just I mean, so you're just hopping on Greyhound buses and talking to people. So that's just like if you're if you're equipped with a lot of empathy, then you're probably a good talker and you can just strike up conversations with people. But again, it goes back like I always put myself in your shoes and I think to myself, like, no way I could do that, man, because I'd be so paranoid. They're like, they're gonna find out, they're gonna find out that I'm a I'm a I'm a narc, and then the next thing you know, I'm I'm done, you know. So, yeah. man, good for you, good for you. Thanks for thanks again for your service. That's, that's oh, you're welcome. Funny. Yeah, man. So um, from there, I mean, at, at what point, at what point do you start getting into yoga? Where, how's that all? How do you get into the yoga thing? How does how does that come around? Um, it comes around um, in about 2013, I believe. Um, I was we got a new police chief um, in the department, and as long as I was there, I don't think up to that point I'd been there for about 20 years. And all the police chiefs had been promoted from within. So anytime you get a new police chief, there's going to be a certain amount of change. Just like, you know, in the military, you get a new commander, things are going to change. Um, but when you have somebody promoted from within, there's typically less change than somebody that's coming from the outside. So for the first time in 20 years, we hired a police chief from the outside. And he came in and wanted to make a lot of changes. Um, and in hindsight, I personally, and I don't think a lot of the department had a problem with change itself. It's how those changes w were implemented, kind of through threats, intimidation, making you feel like crap, um, little or no explanation as to why uh, the changes were being made. So over the course, I was uh, in internal affairs at the time, and at the time, a lieutenant was in charge of internal affairs, which is what I was. So. He made it a captain's position. I tested, ended up coming out like third on the list. So ultimately, the person first went to be the captain. So he moved me to the training center, which was very nice of him. So I went to the training center. So I was a little bit disconnected um, from a lot of people taking a lot of the heat, the patrol people, the investigative people, the people that had contact with him every day. Uh, but ultimately, over the 18 months, just the pressure um, of how he led kind of put me in about the darkest place I've ever been in my life. So what ultimately got me into yoga, my wife had taken me um, probably a year or two before that, did it one time. Like many people, I I went and thought, oh, this is a pretty good workout. I got to stretch a little bit, but I didn't get any of the mental benefits out of it at all. So ultimately I, did, I didn't go back. So while this, while I was pretty much getting to the point of my lowest point, um, one of the sergeants at the training center uh, challenged me to do a yoga challenge with her, which was basically going to a local yoga studio. How many times can you go to a yoga class in 30 days? So um, I ended up going, we ended up going about 20, 22 times during that period. So I didn't go into this challenge thinking, 
yoga was going to make me feel better. Yoga was going to save me. I had no expectations at all other than to do well in the challenge. But what I realized a little bit after I'd done that, going that many times in such a short period of time made the stress manageable. I started to get, and I, again, hindsight, um, I'm a firm believer of everybody has a certain kind of energy within their body or chi that it's often referred to. So I basically had stuck energy or stuck chi. That's why I was feeling so, um, so bad, to be honest with you. And the yoga, just the movement, the breath work, all that stuff got that chi moving to where my energy started getting more positive. And ultimately, um, kind of coupling the yoga mindfulness training with some other things, yeah. finding my formula. And, and I kind of preach when I talk to people, you got to find your formula. In my case, it was yoga mindfulness. It was continuing to work out. It was prescription medication for anxiety for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, EMDR. I don't know if you're familiar okay. with EMDR. I moved yeah. into sensitive reprocessing for your, for your listeners. Great tool. Um, so for me, that was what worked for me. Ultimately, I ended up getting better. Um, it got to the point where I had enough. I went from, and this part's hard for me to talk about more than anything I did in placing. Okay. But it got to the point where um, I felt so bad. I think a lot of people are familiar with fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. Everybody's familiar with fight or flight, but hopefully you've never experienced freeze. And I've done it one time in my life. And that's when I was at the lowest point of my life. I remember distinctly being in my bed, basically in the fetal position, as cold as I've ever been. I I really thought I was dying. In hindsight, it was probably like a panic type type attack. But it gets to the point where where your nervous system is so shut down, all all it's trying to do is survive or you're in the freeze mode. So I went from that... With the help of the my formula to the point where, um, again, I was a lieutenant at the training center while this was all going on. It got to the point where, um, and I forget the time frame exactly, but sometime where along the lines I had taken the, uh, went through the assessment center to become a captain. Mm-hmm. Um, the captain's list, I was about, I think I was about halfway down the list. Um but it got to the point where there was about a year left for this list to still be valid. Um, I was the next person to be promoted and kind of on my upswing here, I took the opportunity to talk to the chief. Um, I said, chief, what are the uh, chances of me being promoted before the list expires? And he said, Chris, to be honest with you, I don't have a whole lot of uh, uh, faith in your ability to lead at the next level. And um, I thought for a second, I said, chief, why do you say that? And he said, you're not engaged. And by engaged, he meant basically, and I hate to say it, but kind of kissing his ass, doing exactly things exactly the way he wanted to, um, whether it be internally or externally with the community. And I thought for a second, I said, Chief, I said, you're right. I'm not engaged, but it's because of you. And he kind of sat back in his chair and I did it respectfully. I didn't say, I didn't say, Hey, MF, blah, 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 blah. I did it respectfully. And he sat back for a second and said, why didn't you say anything before? And I said, no, to be honest, chief, chief, I I didn't think that you would care. Mm -hmm. And we continued to talk for just a little bit. Um, You know, at this point I was kind of at the point where, you know, I actually, I'd actually filed my paperwork with the state to retire early. I was ready to be, I was ready to be out of there. Um, 
And we continue to talk for a little bit. And he goes, Chris, if I do promote you, you got to be prepared to go at 100 miles an hour. So, Chief, I think I'm up for the challenge. So that gave me a little glimmer of hope. And ultimately, he ended up uh, promoting me to captain. Um, and I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but he gave me one of the more difficult captain's positions uh, where I basically supervised more than a lot of other captains did. So I don't know if it was kind of to see, again, I don't know if there was any thought behind it. You know, Chris is either going to sink or swim. Right. And ultimately, I, 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 I did pretty well in the position, kind of excelled. Um, it was actually my favorite position to be in that captain's position in charge of a patrol district um and ultimately i was only a captain for 18 months and then um there was an assistant police chief's position that came open and in our department he just simply had to appoint there was no process or anything like that and ultimately out of i think we had maybe eight captains at the time i was not the youngest in age, but the youngest time in grade yeah he actually promoted me to that assistant police chief job and in hindsight I'm pretty sure it had to do one. I'd like to think it's because I did a good job as a captain, but two, he knew that I only had about a year and a half, two years before um, I was going to retire. So that one lock, if he would have promoted somebody that had 10 years left, that would have locked up that position for 10 years as opposed to two years by appointing me. So I think a combination of things, he ultimately appointed me to uh, the assistant police chief job and um, the rest is history. I guess you could say. Uh, I kind of want to, Back up a little bit, and I and I hate to back up to a, like this painful memory of the lowest point, but I, I'm curious as to like, did you analyze and think about like like what brought that on? Was it just years of chronic stress, or or what was it? Was there substances or anything involved? I mean, what what, or was it just you know not having the tools to to mitigate the stress day in and day out? Did you ever kind of dig into that and figure out what was going on? Yeah, I, probably a combination of things. I, I think it was the I think it was my mind um, imagining some things. I think that was part of it. I think too, um, I think the, just the toll over 18 months just kind of wore on me and wore on me. Um, and I think, and I kind of jokingly say, if I ever write a book, it's going to be called, I thought I was resilient because I thought I was, I worked out, I was in better shape than probably 90% of the people in the department. Right. You know, I really thought that, but I now know physically I was resilient, but mentally and spiritually I was not. And that's what was kind of my fault. So again, it goes back to that holistic approach to wellness. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, yeah, just, just seeing other people taking some hits, you know, I took my share of hits and ultimately it came down to a, a leader and, and kind of reminiscing here as we talk, it kind of came down to some personal responsibility on my part too. When I was at the training center as a lieutenant, again, with this new chief, he was more into kind of uh, that friendly community type leader as opposed to the tactical SWAT type leader. And at the training center at the time, you had two sergeants that pretty much ran the show down there, but were uh, very tactfully SWAT type sound people. Mm -hmm. So I got up with my assistant chief um, at the time and said, hey, do we need to transfer these guys out? And he basically said, yeah, of course, we probably need to transfer them out before the chief does. So basically showing that we did our job. My mistake. Leadership 101, and I know it now, and I should have known it then, was um, I shared that information with the sergeants as far as it really wasn't me or our assistant chief that wanted transferred. It was the police chief. Hmm. And, again, I know 
that, you know, and you know, from being in the military, if you're given a lawful, basically given a lawful order, you need to carry it out, whether you agree with it or not. If it's unlawful, then you deal with that as needed. Yeah. But And then you need to own it too. And, and now yeah. it becomes your order. So you don't be like, Hey guys, I really don't want to do this shit either. But the chief said, you know, that's, we're, we're and that's, like, basically, no. that's, basically, that's basically what I did. And that, that was a mistake, yeah. but I, I try, you know, to talk about being compassionate with yourself. And at the time this was, again, I'm still at the low, one of the lowest points in my life. So yeah. My compassion to myself was I would like to think now I wouldn't do well, I know I wouldn't do that now, uh, learning from my mistakes. But being at the lowest point, I just didn't have the internal fortitude at the time to to yeah. own it. And and to, I think part of becoming a better person, a better leader, uh, more mindful is owning my past mistakes and not mm-hmm. making those same mistakes. So, so ultimately they ended up uh grieving the transfer, which I don't blame. Them. They were squared away dudes. Um, and they ended up grieving. Chief ultimately found out that um, I had told him that it was him that he wanted to transfer. Of course, he denied that. Um, we had a in part of this part right before I was kind of my lowest point, uh, and actually probably a week or so before my lowest point. I'm at one of the grievance hearings with one of the sergeants, and Chief finds out that I shared the information with them. And the chief, so we're in there, the chief, I think my captain, sergeant, maybe somebody from internal affairs is in there. And um, uh, the chief says, this grievance hearing is now more about you pointing to me than it is about that sergeant. So he basically goes on to say that um, I'll be seen as weak. Um, Don't be surprised if people at training center want to be transferred out because of my weak leadership, Um, that the People at the training center would assume would rather see me hung on the training center fence as opposed to being transferred. Um, and during that same meeting, I'm, I'm thinking I'm th- I'm feeling about two inches tall about now. And he said, and I get ready and I say, and I start to say, Chief, if, if you don't think uh, I'm the right for man, what I was going to say is, Chief, if you don't think I'm the right for the man, right man for the job, the job, that's fine. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Put me someplace else where you think somebody else could do better. But before I could get it out, I said, Chief, he said, Stop. <laughs> I don't need your permission. Oh, so you know, this whole meeting is going on again. I'm probably feeling the lowest I ever felt in my life. Um, and after everybody else leaves, he keeps me there and said, What are you doing after work today? Almost like he was asking me out to dinner or something. I'm thinking, uh, go home, watch TV, hang out with my wife. And he goes, as far as I'm concerned, this conversation is over, and I don't want you to think about it for another minute. Wow. So I'm thinking, this is I'm probably the lowest point of my life, and you're telling me act telling me to act like nothing were happening. So yeah, yeah. Wow. So so how, how would you do you find like do you think that was probably like the hardest challenge you faced in your life? Was that was that point? And absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I think. But what's so ironic, and I think a lot of people can attest to this, is if I hadn't gone through what I would consider the most, uh, the worst part of my life, I wouldn't be talking to you today. Yeah, love it. You know, it's it's weird how, again, I I kind of, you know, I think it's God's way of, you know, he says, they say he'll never give you a challenge that you can't handle. Well, he almost, I mean, he was right there. He was teetering. Um, Because I actually did, I actually did contemplate suicide. I was pretty much, you know, what. I'd had enough. So, mm-hmm. oh man, 
Thanks for sharing that. Uh, how did you, so how did you recover from that? How did you come back? You know, how, how does one come back from that state? Again, I don't think it, again, it was divine intervention. I'd had no clue or no, no, um, really plan for coming back. Um, yeah. the yoga challenge was the start of it. Yeah. Um, got my energy started going in a positive motion. It was, it was like, a you know, the snowball effect, but in yeah. this case it was God or whomever started my little snowball, pushed me oh, down the hill and then the rest took care of itself. So I'd like to take credit for it, but I really, for the most part, I can't. Yeah. Yeah, man, I can relate. I can relate to your story. Um, me too. Uh, you know, uh, the lowest point of my life involved police as well. <laughs> but I was a I was a client of the police force. I wasn't a police officer. <laughs> I was sitting yeah. in the back of a police car and uh, was at the lowest point in my life uh, in 2007, March 31st, to be exact. And um, yeah, I remember there was a moment in time there, like just a millisecond where I felt like everything is going to be all right. Everything's yeah. going to be just fine. It's exactly what's supposed to happen. And that was fleeting. It went away. And then it was like, oh, man, my wife is screwed. Like, I'm screwed. My career's over. My wife's leaving, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. And I really relate to what you said. If that didn't happen to me and I didn't sober up from that, I've been sober ever since, um, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. There's no way. And I wouldn't be happily married with two kids living in Chiang Mai, Thailand. There's just no way. I, I would you know what I would like? And, you know, I, I think what's... Uh, you know, you mentioned um, the question at the beginning of the podcast in reference to the, if it's all right, I think it'd be most appropriate now to, sure. if there was one thing that I could say to people um, as far as my experience and what you've shared with me as far as your experience is, is try your best to learn from other people's mistakes, <laughs> other people's advice, as opposed to committing your own. I know that's easier said than done. And sometimes it's just, not in the in the cards, but if you can learn from somebody else's mistakes and not have to suffer the way we've suffered, mm -hmm. you know that that's a blessing. Yeah, that'd be ideal. Um, yeah, so we had talked before the podcast about uh, hey, if there was a billboard, what would you put on it? And that was like that turns into like my my pot my ending podcast question. But yeah, and uh, I agree with that. And I think what prevents that from happening is ego, because it becomes like yeah, well, it sure it happened up so-and-so but it can't happen and it's not going to happen to me there's no way i mean well, i think that's where i think that's where i think that's where the whole mindfulness thing comes in i, I think and for me what i i, I kind of i love mindfulness the whole practice and yoga being part of that process is for me it's kind of like policing where i'll never know everything there is to know about mindfulness and there's so many aspects of mindfulness whether it be yoga whether it be breath whether it be uh, movement, there's so many different things. If I get bored with one thing, I can focus on another thing. And then at a time, you know, I can put everything together. But I think the whole thing about mindfulness, at least for me, the challenge is to the whole interoception, being more in tune with my, with my feelings and my truthful thoughts, if there's such a thing, and, and making better decisions based on that. I think most people, including me at, uh, so at this point in my life, just at a at a better level, is just don't know or have that ability to objectively kind of dig inside and see what's causing that feeling. What's the source of those feelings so that you can deal with them appropriately? Yeah, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, um, just the awareness, the awareness of thoughts and the awareness of what's going on inside me and, and 
you talked about that objectively, like looking at it, um, having non-judgmental awareness of what's going on inside me has, has been huge. It's also been really difficult to attain. And um, I've been oh, yeah. at it for, uh, I'm on like eight years, I think, eight years of, of meditation and mindfulness and breath and um, getting into exercising more. And, and much like you, you know, I, I was a PT stud, so I thought I was really resilient. But come to find out that, you know, a thousand push-ups and a hundred squats and running 10 miles is, is not going to always fix an unsteady mind. Um, yep. you need to have the complete package, you know, it needs to be a complete package nowadays, even though like I just, and I brought up in, a, in another podcast, like there was a study that just came out from the university of uh, West Australia talking about how physical activity and physical fitness is now been studied and said to be 1.5 times as effective for um depression as um uh as counseling and medication and i say yeah. that and i always have to caveat like i'm not telling anyone to stop taking their pills follow your doctor's orders but yeah. it might be worth uh getting some running shoes and maybe getting a membership to the gym or something and, and checking that out too because i know it's a big part of of my formula is is i'm big in the physical fitness i'm a, I'm a runner mainly, but I, I throw some weights around every now and again, but that's only just to, to get stronger for running. <laughs> so, And I'm glad you brought out that example with uh, that, that study. Um, and, and people talk, you know, I kind of like in, um, in policing, we would get many calls for people in mental crisis of some sort. And inevitably, many of the times when we would go there, it's because the people were in mental crisis because they stopped taking their meds. They stopped feeling, they started feeling better, didn't think they need their meds. And ultimately it put them back down that rabbit hole when they were in crisis. And I kind of like in mindfulness to that same thing. And the practice, the my practice of mindfulness is, Hey, I'm feeling pretty good right now. I don't necessarily need to do that breath work or that yoga practice. And ultimately, you know, it's a slippery slope. Eventually you're not doing it at all. And yeah. eventually you're back down to where you, were before so it's kind of weird yeah. at least in my mind how the the relationship yeah it's, it's funny you mentioned that because i've found myself in the past like like practices plateau and then i'm like hey i'm not really sure what this is doing for me anymore and then you know somebody will bring up a, well then just stop just stop and then you'll see and i'm like oh well, no no i don't want to stop <laughs> you know but but what i'll do is i'll switch things up uh, i i've come to accept that that uh you know that if meditations just like um for whatever i've gotten bored with it or it's just plateaued or you know i i've lost my way a little bit i'll just switch it up and do some breath work instead of meditation or or um do a bunch of breath work and then a meditation uh following that is like i found that to be really really nice so um obviously i can't say like oh I, no i'm not really into meditation I, I feel myself as a meditation teacher for crying out loud so um, <laughs> but yeah uh so so you get into doing yoga for 30 days and then at some point you start to find the, the mental and the spiritual benefits. And it's more than just, Hey, let's go, you know, do some stretching. And that was a good workout. It's, it's, you're really starting to get the benefits of it. And, and where does, where does it go from there? Because I see now you're, you got yoga nine one one. And, and as I said, at the beginning, like you have a list of qualifications that would take 30 minutes to read. So. <laughs> No, basically from that point, I was kind of hooked. Um, and to me, it was almost, it was almost like a, almost like a drug. You know, I'm thinking I love the, I love the feeling that, that feeling of wellness, that feeling of peacefulness. Um, 
And it was, well, it wasn't free because you had to pay for the yoga classes, but it was legal. So I'm thinking, wow, this is pretty cool. So my wife and I continue to go to that same yoga, stu yoga studio probably two, three times a week. Um, and then ultimately, you know, that was something that we did together. Then ultimately I um, went to yoga teacher training because I just want to kind of continue that path. And I didn't, I didn't know if I actually wanted to teach at that point, but what I really, well, when I went into it, I was under the assumption that almost everybody that went through yoga teacher training ended up being a yoga teacher. When I found out later, only about 30% of people that go through yoga teacher training, oh, really? to be yoga teacher, which was crazy to me. I would have thought it would have been like 80%. Um, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. I just liked the whole learning process, um, learning more about yoga, uh, mindfulness, learning more about myself and how I could apply it to my life. Um, and then I think there were probably maybe well, 14 people in my class. And I think maybe one or two, it went back to that 30%, maybe one or two of us are still teaching. Wow. So it was just kind of, you know, once I got the, it was the 200 hour training, the basic training, uh, took about a year, year and a half uh, between that. And then I went on to get my uh, 500 hour training. Again, just wanted to kind of continue that education piece and become a little bit more better at my craft so about that you know in my with my background being the military and first responders um i'd been part of a organization called yoga for first responders training for a while okay. i'd done the warrior youth training okay. uh, yeah. which is sponsored by um done that so i really found myself uh, leaning towards wanting to train or work with military and first responders because i could kind of relate to them I knew the benefits of it. And I knew ultimately, kind of like in your my intro that you said, ultimately it's about improving performance. And mm -hmm. typically when people talk about improving performance, they're talking about at work, but that's half the equation. The other equation, equation is performing or being a better father, husband, yeah. wife, sister, whatever, being a better person away from work and at work. Yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, you can make, the, I mean, you can make the argument that it might be more than half of the equation because at the end of the day, when you hang up that, uh, you know, that service holster for the last time, it's going to be the wife and the kids that, that are probably hopefully still going to be there, you know? So you need to make sure that, that, uh, you know, that that's taken care of, or, uh, it, it may be a rough road after service, uh, for you. But Good point. So yep. when, you, when you got, uh, into, um, yoga and you started getting teacher certifications and stuff like that, were you already involved with yoga with law enforcement as well? Or did, did you? Did you bring it right back to the force or, or how did that, how did that whole thing look? Um, I was doing the yoga first responders program for um, a while while this was going on. I think it was as I was going through my 200 hour training. So I, I'd gone through that program uh, and I agreed with uh, a lot of the stuff they did, but I didn't necessarily agree with everything that they, that they did. So I kind of brought that back to the Fayetteville police department, but um, <laughs> you know, it was typically four or five, six people at every class and some of them even weren't sworn personnel. So um, as you probably know, yoga is a hard sell for military first yeah. responders. So, yeah. But what I, I, I was jokingly say is, you know, if I can get people on the mat to give it a try, mm -hmm. I've never had anybody come up after class and say, Chris, that class sucked. <laughs> you know, it's always like, you know, hey, this is pretty cool. And, and when, when I do my presentation, when I do my presentations is one of the three predictions that I make is that I think you'll have a different perspective on what yoga actually is because i think people think it's really 
kind of foo-foo, female-dominated. You wear all kinds of weird clothes and stuff like that. When, in fact, it's a great workout depending on what you want to do. And I I, kind of like, you know, especially like the SWAT guys, type A personality plus type people, you know, do some, get the basic yoga moves down over the course of a couple of weeks, get your breath work down, and then start adding pieces of equipment. Try doing yoga with your entry vest on. Try doing it with your gas vest on. Kind of like reality-based training. With the theory, if you can throw your breath in this semi-controlled environment, then ideally you'll be able to do it out in in the real world. So you got I find that you got to kind of, at least for me, I have to kind of adjust based on my audience. Mm-hmm. So, which I think is that I love, I'm glad I have that ability to kind of adjust as needed. So, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Like it was definitely a hard sell for, for military. I remember, oh, geez, it was probably 1999. They, they like pulled up a tractor trailer flatbed in front of the, a battalion of Navy CBs that are probably like half drunk. Cause it's like five 30 in the morning and they're doing physical fitness and this this lady out there with a microphone and some wearing some leotards trying to teach us to do yoga and that was like my first ever experience with yoga and it, i i just felt so mad for that girl but um yeah. yeah it's definitely as you said too it's like it it tends to get um marketed as it looks like it's a it's a female dominated thing and and the, which is uh pretty a pretty amazing when you look back to the origins of it you know i think the origins of where it came from and correct me if i'm wrong but like india it was pretty much a male dominated thing you know yeah. yoga was and not there's not many females doing it and then somehow we repackage it and brought it to america and then it becomes like yoga pants and frappuccinos and you know girls doing it mainly so um yeah certainly i i think the hard sell aspect of, of this things too, of, of yoga and mindfulness and meditation and breath work and all this holistic wellness practices that guys like you and I and, and others out there that, that come from, uh, you know, a, sometimes like a rough and tumble service type background. You know, I think it's, it's important to have these conversations so that folks perhaps listening in are like, Whoa, there's, there's dudes out there doing yoga and meditation and breath work and such. And, you know, like uh, I had on like uh, JT Frank, Consequence of Habit, you know, he was an Air Force guy and and then a uh, first responder for 23 years now. And uh, my next guest is a retired Navy SEAL, you know, with 20 years. And he's got like three bronze stars and five hostage rescues. And he's a meditator, you know, and it's like, you know, so, yeah, like, uh, I don't know. I want to, I, <laughs> I might not be politically correct nowadays, but manly men. They're out there doing yoga. You know, men do yoga and men meditate. And men do breath work and, and have uh, holistic wellness practices that work for us. So I think it's awesome, man. I really, I, I mean, that's that's what connected us, you know, originally. I saw I, I saw the whole yoga 911 thing and I was intrigued. Just like I, I see guys out there. Like when I first hopped on LinkedIn years ago, I saw John McCaskill. is one of the first people I saw. If you know John, and John's a retired Navy SEAL commander who's into meditation and mindfulness guru now and it's like wow like dudes like me are out there doing it and i want to connect it and i want to i want to push it out to the 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 masses that this stuff works and that's that's why we do it you know so so uh when did you find uh or found uh yoga 911 and and what's that experience been like is that something you're still working or yeah i started in uh 2019 um, and basically kind of what I do is I'll go to different police departments and kind of individualize the training, depending on what the expectations are or what the, 
uh, chain of command wants for their officers, whether it be breath work, whether it be yoga, whether it be a combination of both, whether it be reality-based training. Um, it can be anywhere from four hours to several days, depending on what they're looking for. The next, um, I've got a couple things lined up, but the, the next yoga 911 training I have is going to be, if it's, if it's okay, October 5th and 6th in Raleigh, North Carolina. And Absolutely. what's going to be unique about this training is it's going to be at the Raleigh PD training center. Um, it's going to be a combination of yoga teachers and first responders with the theory or the idea of being that yoga teachers can learn from the first responders. So there'll be better yoga teachers for first responders and the first responders will learn from the yoga teachers, whether it be uh, some type of breath work, uh, yoga practice, whatever. So it's going to be kind of that, hopefully that synergistic effect, which is kind of unique because typically if you have yoga teacher training, it's just yoga teachers or first responder training. So we're going to mix. And what's going to be different about this, it'll be kind of a combination of online prep work. And then we'll actually, uh, in the past class, and I don't think I'm going to do this class because of liability reasons, but in the past class that I did, I actually, it was all yoga teachers, took them to a local firing range, ran them through an obstacle course, and actually had them live fired with a Glock at a fixed target with the idea that they would have some understanding of what it's like to perform in a high stress situation. So they have a little more credibility with the first responders when they get out there and start teaching them. And again, it's kind of a unique opportunity for them. So in this case, um, combination of yoga and first responders. We're going to run them through the uh, entrance exam, entrance PT test for the state of North Carolina. I'm hoping to get a uh, the Raleigh Fire Department to, to provide a ladder truck where they can actually uh, climb up the ladder. And again, heights are, including for me, can be uh, traumatic for people. So again, with the idea that for the people that are worried about heights and the people that aren't, they can kind of talk to each other, work with each other as they kind of climb up the ladder and kind of overcome. I don't know if you've seen, um, uh, what's it called? Thor. He's got a, the alt. Um, yeah. Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, He's well, exactly what you're Netflix. talking about. And I can't remember the name of the series. It's on Netflix, correct? Or is yeah, it on? It's an all, it's, for, it's uh, um, might be on Disney great Plus. Series. <laughs> great series. Unlimited. It might be something like unlimited. unlimited. Something like yeah, that. But yeah. Great yeah. series. And he actually has to, walk out on a beam, I don't know, 60 stories high or something like that. So kind of with the idea of basically learning technique techniques that you can utilize in situations that you're uncomfortable with or never faced before, just so that you can, so that you can feel it. And again, I think it goes back to that whole credibility thing. And part of the protocol will be um, that the yoga teachers will have to do it right along with a police officer for, you know, four to eight hours, just so they have some idea of what it's like. So when they go into those classes, they can say, Hey, I've done X, Y, and Z which automatically, you know, with military and first responders, credibility is huge. Right. Right. They can get it. So if anybody's interested, um, kind of stay tuned on LinkedIn, and I'll be glad to uh, – uh, probably the class will probably be limited to 30 or so. So there'll be yeah. – um, Now, was, you said that was August 5th? Is that the October 5th and 6th. October 5th, I'm sorry. October 5th and 6th, yeah. So Thursday right, and cool. Friday. Yeah, uh, make sure I, I get some type of link for that, and I'll put it in the show notes, man. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that's really cool. It's it's funny. You mentioned the gun range and you mentioned uh, when I'm talking about breath work and stuff. That's one of the first places I was introduced to breath work was with I was doing direct combat support uh, with Naval Special Operations. And we had a shooting course at the beginning of the uh, week. Uh, someone had talked about doing box breath, which is four seconds in, hold for four seconds, four seconds out, hold for four seconds. And then um, 
just talked about it and then how it could calm the nervous system. And then sure enough, later on that week, they put us through an obstacle course, full combat equipment, obstacle course in the Mississippi hot sun, you know, in the summer, it's, it's terrible. Right. And it's like Friday afternoon. Like we're just smoked. Like we just want to be done at the end of the obstacle course. You go up to the firing range and they give you a SIG P226 and one nine millimeter bullet and say, put this bullet into that head plate target, 25 meters down range. And you can go inside, watch wheel of fortune and eat ice cream in the air conditioning. If you miss you're going through this entire old course again until you hit that target. And we'll be, we got all day and into the night. We got night vision out here. We have to, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, so I don't want to do that old course again. But I knew in my mind, I'm like, this is the time to do that breath exercise. So I took some box breaths, pushed out the site, you know, slowly squeezed, pink, ping. I was like, so glad to hear that. That, that bullet hit that steel because <laughs> I did not want to do that old course again, man. So yep. yeah, it works and it's, it's applicable. And it reminds me, you know, that's the saying of like slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Right. In order to be yep. smooth and fast, you know, you got to be yep. calm and in order to be calm. We've got to have mastery over our nervous system. And probably one of the easiest ways to do that is through our breath. So absolutely, awesome yep. stuff, man. really cool. So I think, uh, I think we've been at this for about an hour. <laughs> Such a bad Thanks, but uh hey i just want to uh so where can people go to learn more about you um i'm on linkedin i currently don't have a uh website uh i found that linkedin just does as well for me as anything does but my uh, email address is yoga 911 at yahoo.com if you have any questions or comments i always looking uh, for uh, positive or negative feedback um let me know uh, if you have any questions about training or just general questions, please reach out to me. Uh, and again, just kind of stay tuned for the uh, October 5th and 6th training. If you're a first responder um, or a yoga teacher that would be interested in kind of doing something unusual, I'd like to think it's maybe one of the first type programs uh, in the country. And I know I'm not aware of any other, like I said, I don't think we're going to shoot this time, um, but we will do be doing some stuff with uh, the fire department, hopefully, maybe with some uh, full gear on, gas mask, and do awesome. some yoga with that, just so yeah. they can live. Get a canine out there. there. Let them get attacked by a dog. That'll be fun. <laughs> there we go. I really love to do the taser thing. Oh, my God. I did a taser once. I'll never do a taser again. You could pepper spray me all day. You better keep that damn taser with me. I felt like my bones were going to explode. <laughs> yeah, that was that was rather uh, traumatic. But, yeah, oh, I might have to, there might be some liability involved in that, so – yeah, man, I did a taser. They made us do a taser doing some course again with the Naval Special Operations. And we were being trained up by some like old sheriff's department or something. They The cadre thought it'd be a great idea for everyone to experience the taser. And uh, it was a terrible idea. And then they um, another part of the course, they thought it'd be a great idea. But they pepper sprayed us all. And then they made us play paintball while we we're all like just like with pepper spray in our eyes and just snot bubbling everywhere. And then they're like, Hey, let's do immediate action drills now with paintballs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like this. But I eat so much spicy food that I think uh, it helped me. Cause I, I, I could take pepper spray <laughs> all day long. That's just like Bianca to me. No big deal. Yeah. But, see, um, I'm the exact opposite. Tasers done in what? 30 seconds. I'm done or whatever about a time it is. Right. Right. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, 
I'll get all this stuff into the show notes. I'll get your LinkedIn. I'll get your email. I'll get the, the, the link to the event coming on October 5th. And uh, any final thoughts for the listeners? No, I, I just uh, um, appreciate you having me on. And one of the things I, I um, kind of usually end a lot of my presentations with is have you suffered enough? And by that, I mean, have you suffered enough to do something different, whether it be physical, mental, or spiritually, or all three to make a positive change in your life? Awesome, brother. I appreciate you coming on, Chris. Really good stuff, Thank you, Chris. All right, man. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that you found it informative and entertaining. As you may know, podcasts rely on support of their listeners to grow and reach a wider audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us improve and let others know what to expect when they tune in. Plus, it helps us reach new listeners who might not have found us otherwise. So if you're a fan of this podcast, please take a moment to show your support by leaving a rating or review. We appreciate it, and we thank you for your continued support. Peace and be well.